1: with Keller Williams Realty leaders in Crown Point, Indiana. In 2006, she posted her best year when she closed 444 transactions with a total sales volume of 93 million. Her average sales price was 209,000. 40% were buyers and 60% were sellers. She operates a team with 11 members, one closing manager, one listing manager, one marketing social media creative director, two listing specialists, four buyer specialists, one commercial specialist, and one team leader. Jana Caudell is the team leader of the Jana Caudell team. She has been an agent for 15 years. Jana works a diverse area of small towns in northwest Indiana and has been the number one agent in her MLS for the last eight years. She is a generalist who targets the entire market from high-end to entry-level to commercial. Jana's strategy paid off in 2006 when she was named the number one agent worldwide for Keller Williams Realty. Not bad for someone who did not know anyone when she first moved to town. Jana strives for balance between being a mother of four and a business tycoon with her hand in multiple successful businesses including her top-notch real estate agent practice, her real estate brokerage, and a title company. Jana has achieved the elusive seventh level in her real estate career. She has been able to build a team and step out of the day-to-day operations for the last four years. Her business runs on autopilot by her well-trained, knowledgeable, and capable team. Listen carefully as this master team builder explains how to put the right people on your bus and in the right seats. Jana is a natural rainmaker Businesswoman and team leader. Listen as she shares one marketing idea after another. First, a quick word from our sponsor, Real GTV, Real Estate Agent Lead Generation Television. Need more referrals? Get a free script and simple three part plan used by a top agent to receive and close 74 referral transactions in one year. Just go to freereferralscript.com. That's freereferralscript.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the call, Jana. Thank you, Mike. Happy to be here. Before we go into what you're doing today, I'd actually like to go back for a minute and talk about what you were doing before you got into real estate.
2: I actually um, was a claim adjuster for State Farm Insurance. I worked for State Farm for approximately 11 years in various different departments. I worked for an agent. I worked for their uh, main corporate office um, in human resources and then went into um, automobile um, claims. And so I was a claim negotiator for bodily injury claims and automobile accidents. It helped me learn my negotiating skills. Let's just put it that way. And dealing with crabby people because they were either injured or their car was um, had broken down or was totaled. So, so I did that for several years before I got into real estate.
1: What made you decide to get into real estate?
2: Well, you know, I, I was always fascinated by it. Um, I while I worked for State Farm, I actually was next door to a Century 21 office um, and, and kind of was always fascinated by the agents coming and going, and they had that flexibility. Um, they also drove nice cars, so I'm like, well, they've got to be doing something right here. But um, I, I just always had a fasc- fascination for houses and for sales, um, always kind of been had a sales mindset, even in high school and, and whatnot. So it was just something that I – kind of had an interest in doing. However, I was always led to believe that you had to be um, older, you know, know, there wasn't a steady income. So I just always chose the the safe route um, until I got to a point where I just really wasn't necessarily happy in my profession and, and I wanted to change. And so my husband said, well, go do something that you really want to do and that you're going to be happy doing so I said I think I want to try real estate and so I I dove right in knowing that I was giving up um, a company car a salaried position and all the the I guess the stability but I was excited about it and I had confidence that I could do it and so I I dove into it from day one knowing that I really had to make this work.
1: Do you think that you had a fast start or a slow start?
2: I had a fast start and the reason being is because I listen to top-performing agents similar to um, what you're doing for people, Mike, interviewing top agents around the country regardless of their affiliation with their companies. I I was a Howard Brenton Star Power Star follower, and um, I was lucky to have um, a Star Power Star that I'm actually very good friends with um, introduce me to to the tapes back then. It, they weren't CDs, they were tapes. So that tells you how long ago it was. But I would listen to these top performers and I would just pretty much me, uh, memorize their scripts, their dialogues, their ways of doing business, their best practices. And so I listened to probably four years worth of top performers, so you know, 12, 12 a year um, for four solid years, I listened to those um, an entire summer prior to getting my license. So when I actually got my license, I hit the ground running and I did things the way the top producers did it instead of the local agents in my marketplace. So I think I really had an advantage there because I probably it shortened my learning curve and I I just jumped right in and I did the things that worked and that were a good return on my investment, and my time, And that actually, um, like I said, we're proven best practices in our industry.
1: Where are you located?
2: My market is Northwest Indiana, which is um, about 45 miles. It's a suburb of Chicago, 45 miles um, from downtown Michigan Avenue. But we definitely are in a totally different marketplace because we are in Indiana. And I I live in Crown Point, Indiana, and that's where my office is located. Uh, We also have an office in the Cherville, St. John, and Valparaiso um, areas. But um, my particular office is in Crown Point, and we also service about 15 to 20 small towns. And Crown Point has a population of about 25,000 people. Um, So I've had to sell lots of houses in order to make a lot of money and to do it well. But um, the main thing is all of the towns put together Um, You know, some of them are 10,000 people, some of them are 20,000, but I service about, I would say, 15 towns altogether.
1: How far away are those towns from one another?
2: They all run into each other, Mike. Um, So, you know, if I have to drive any more than 25 or 30 minutes, I typically refer it out just because it doesn't make sense to drive um, much further than that. But they all run, you know, they're all within just two, three miles of one another, and they all connect
1: Tell us more about your market. Has the market been going up? Has it been going down?
2: Well, every town is different. So every town has a different average sale price, but our board average, which covers two different counties, um, our board average is, it's actually going down. Um, And it has not, not a lot, but our board average right now is about 140,000. And that That you know, that's it's actually holding its own probably compared to a lot of boards. My average actually has gone down. I used to sell around 210 average sale price, and now mine's down to around 185 the past two three years. So we we have always had long market times, Um, even in the good days. Our average market time was you know a lot longer than a lot of people. I would say our average market time has gone down a little bit since since the heyday. But it, it, it takes a while, it really does, you know, to sell. So you've got to be very good with servicing and, and having systems in place and having a team that, that provides the service um, because it's not a quick sale.
1: What kind of properties are in that market? Is it a wide range of values or is it every, everything kind of homogeneous and the same?
2: No, it's definitely a wide range of values, especially in the different towns, but, I mean, we'll sell anything from you know, a, a piece of land, a, a lot, an individual lot that may cost forty five, fifty thousand um, dollars. lower end homes, typically my my price point of homes range in value from you know around the seventy five up to um, we've got a couple listings over well over a million. Um, but i I would say, a higher price point in our in our marketplace is three four hundred thousand that's considered higher price. Uh, we only get a few over a million dollar sales.
1: Do you have a niche or a specialization in that market?
2: No, I am very very diverse I'm diverse in my lead generation I'm also diverse in who I help. Um, I learned that early on that um, especially in my marketplace, I actually tried not to be um, a niche I didn't want to just be labeled as a luxury homes or executive style homes which you know back then was three four hundred thousand was more of an executive home I, and I and I do get a lot of those and that's all probably what I am known for is the higher end however I found that you know I definitely want to sell a hundred and fifty thousand dollar house those are the bread and butters and I think as an agent I learned that I had to be diverse and i And it doesn't matter to me how much people how much money people make or or the the size of the home. I gave great service to every single person that I helped um, and I didn't judge or anything and, and I do feel that that's led me to have a very strong successful career over time.
1: How are you generating business?
2: Well, we do a little bit of everything, so we're very diverse with that as well. Obviously it's evolved over the years. I think my number one thing that I've always done, and I still continue to do, regardless of what kind of production we do, is I've always been very good about having a database, a sphere of influence, marketing to them consistently, um, at least once a month. They hear from us, and I just I've always been great about really nurturing that. And and so then as time progressed, and email became you know uh, the internet and email became part of that. We would not only mail to them, but we would also do email drips, campaigns, um, call them periodically. We'd have, um, you know, so we would touch them a, a minimum of twelve times a year, but usually up to say thirty times a year. And so that database has grown. It started with about fifty people. And keep in mind, I didn't know anyone in my town when I started in real estate. I didn't grow up here. I didn't go to school here or anything. So. I really had to work hard to even get 50 people in my database from the start of that. But then as I helped people and would meet them at open houses or or wherever, um, I would just constantly add them daily to my database and continue to drip on them and market to them. So that was that's my number one source. Um, we get lots of um, past client referrals, past clients, personal referrals, um, a huge, huge part of our business right now. Um, 15 16 years into it, this is my sixteenth year in the business now, but a lot of it comes from someone who referred someone to us. Um, so I would say that that would be um, our top one. Uh, our signs now. Um, I carry over 80 listings at any given time. Um, so uh, well, that's residential and then we, ha- we carry about 20, 25 commercials. So we have over hundred listings. So there's a lot of signs out there. and so people see our name and our face. Um, we're, my husband and I are very involved in the community. Um, we you know participate our, We have four children, so our kids have been in athletics um, or somehow you know in the different school systems. so we we definitely try to play a role in in helping support our school system, um, sponsorships, scholarships, you know whatever that is um, to to help the community as well that we live in. I've always pursued builders and developers. Uh, That you know, that's how I got my start, and so I would treat them almost like a Fisbo or 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 an expired. And so, if I was out driving around and I saw a builder didn't have um, any representation and they had a spec home for sale, um, that was you know, I had a builder campaign basically and a developer campaign just like I had a Fisbo campaign. And so that was really, really key early on um, to getting my start and to getting a lot of signs up. So I believe that you have to list to last, and that was something that I was taught from bef- from day one. And so it was always my goal to have a lot of listings because the politician with the most signs in the yard wins. And so I knew that that was really key to my success so, um, I was very listing focused, and I would highly recommend that anyone, regardless of, of how many years they've been in the business, is they be listing, have a listing mindset from, from day one. And so that was my goal. So I had a Fizbo campaign. I did not pursue expires early on, and that I kick myself now because to me, they're the easiest listing to get now. Um, but I do currently, um, my, you know, we are, You know, we do probably 20, 25 different ways, I mean, to to generate business. Um, And so, obviously, our signs are important. I have a moving truck. I've had a moving truck since my second year in the business. So that's like a a rolling billboard. It's also a great value-add service to our clients. Um, But I've always been known, and I have my face and my name plastered all over it. Um, And so I've always been known as the girl that has the moving truck, uh, which people found that to be very creative and and so that you know they, it, was a, it was a value add. I, the Internet is huge for us. We have um, two or three different websites, and we actually have someone that is in our office all the time. so anytime a lead comes in, we immediately respond, sometimes even while people are online. Um, so my team is, is ve- very well versed at getting back with people promptly. And so that's been really huge for us. Um, in fact, 34% of our business last year came from the Internet. Um, Just working our relationships. Like I said, we live here. We work here. uh, We have a good reputation, um, and we do business the right way so that we get repeat referral business forever. Um, I always say that we're not in it for the one-time commission. We're in it to be their realtor forever. And so it's really important that we do a good job and we service people well and we treat them right so that they can refer their friends and their family to us um, so that's been huge. Um, definitely for sale by owners, that's something I've done from day one. I've always had a campaign going. Um, right now, I would say we're probably pursuing at least a minimum of 25 to 50 for sale by owners at any given time. And we mail to them, we call them, and really just take the approach that we're here to help them. And if they get frustrated and they find that they can't get the job done, we'd love an opportunity to at least interview with them and let them know you know, and see see if there's a way that we can help them get their home sold. We're very persistent with our lead generation. We don't give up. Um, I always said we di- it's die or disconnect before we would ever you know give up on someone. And that's that's probably why we've done well is because we're we are very persistent and we just don't try one or two touches on people, we'll touch them until they, you know, quit. Or if a Fisbo campaign, we'll touch them at least 12 times and they get, you know, clever pieces from us and whatnot in order to make the phone ring.
1: You've been building up a database and you get a large chunk of your business from past clients and referrals. How are you stimulating that business?
2: Well, I think first, if if you treat them right from the beginning and you build a strong relationship that is not just based on um, a transaction or a sale or a commission um that you actually care about people and and the you know that and how you treat them really does matter. Um, so they easily give you business. So we set the stage from the beginning that we are looking for a long-term commitment from them, that we really want to be their realtor for life and not just in it for this one-time sale, that we want them to, when they think of real estate, to think of us or to think of me. And so I think it's from the beginning that they know that, that they know that this is how I've built my business. And so they um, are constantly being reminded, whether it be a piece of mail, um, an email that they get from us, um, it could be a client appreciation party of some sort, uh, we'll do fun little giveaways. Um, so they're all we want to be top of mind. And we've worked really, really hard to be top of mind. And as time has progressed with obviously the new social media and whatnot that was not around in the beginning, we progress with the times. And we stay cutting edge. And we embrace everything that's happening in today's market, regardless of when it is. And so they, they just know. And when they think of real estate, you know especially in my town I'm you know I'm known I'm I'm considered the celebrity I guess the celebrity of my town and that was my goal was I want to be known by everyone I may not know them but but they will know me and so we've done just done a really great job I think with our marketing and really getting our name out there.
1: Do you send out a certain number of marketing pieces to your past clients or phone calls? We do. um,
2: We send out at least 12 pieces of mail a year. And I know a lot of realtors have pulled back on the mail, uh, one, because they find it expensive or they think it doesn't work. It does work. And especially I found now it works even more because a lot of realtors quit mailing. Um, And so we, we definitely mail once a month to them, no matter what, to our database. And sometimes that's a postcard. We, we actually like postcards. We use the jumbo postcards, and everything we do is always in, in full color. So it could be that. It could be a sold card um, with a bunch of our latest sales, um, just letting people know that we get results, um, obviously that we're still in the business and that we're getting results, and regardless of the market that's out there, that we're still selling houses, because I think that's just a key message is to send strength and to send results especially in the, these unknown times for
1: people. Now, are you also making a phone call to your past clients? We
2: do, but we, I, I will tell you, we're, we, um, we hide behind the marketing. Uh, we are more marketing-based and prospecting-enhanced. Um, We are not huge on the prospecting. Like I have never done an actual cold call. If we do call people, it's usually because they inquired on something or they inquired on a marketing piece or we met them somewhere or we're doing a follow-up call to an appointment or an inquiry. Uh, We will call expireds and we we will call fisbos for sale by owners but we don't just go through and do a bunch of cold calling. Um, we call our past clients at least twice a year, so they don't get hit from us a lot. But, and, and usually it's around, because um, we rotate them through, um, and that, those calls are actually made from my administrative team. I personally don't call any of them. They get mail from me, so they think they hear from me all the time.
1: So you have uh, 80 listings you have signs all over do you do anything unique or special with your sign that generate calls
2: my picture's always been on the sign I just believe that you have to put the name with the face so that people will remember you so it's not that I like having my picture out there but it's just you know it's more for a memory um, type of thing and, and for people to know you know that that's to recognize me and to see me and to remember me. So definitely my sign, my signs have my photo. It's always had a direct line directly into my team. It doesn't have the company number on it. It goes directly into my team. So I get 100% of my own listing calls. Um, and I'm adamant about that. And I have been from since day one, which I think has been huge for me. Because that way, you know, my buyer agents will actually, you know, get that business versus another agent in our company. We have QR codes now on um, our signs on the newer ones that we've ordered. So we've embraced that. I don't know that it it actually works, but it shows that we're cutting edge and that we're staying, you know, on top of it. The gen, possibly the gen wise like it. It, we also have our website on there. And if we have a QR code, we've now taken. Taking the website off because it goes directly to our website, and we've gotten creative with sign writers in terms of instead of using a sold sign, I've often used uh, I use the bought like B O U G H T, so the home is bought. The newest thing that we're starting to use is the sold and then fast. So if we sell it quick, we'll, we'll put the sold fast writer on it. Um, I've been very, very good about getting my sold signs up quickly uh, or the sold riders. I believe that uh, that generates more listings than keeping that sold sign off of there. Um, I think back in the day, they used to teach realtors to not put the sold sign up, you know, to just like get as many buyer calls as possibly. And I believe that it's the opposite that works is getting it sold, you know, put the rider up quickly. And then that sends a message in the neighborhood that you get, you know, that you get the job
1: done. How do you pursue expireds?
2: Well, we call them first. However, we do a lot of mailing to them. So we we mail at least 12 pieces of mail. Um, the first one goes out, you know, pretty much the same day we make the call. Um, whether or not we got a hold of them, we, we mail out to them. And they'll get two or three pieces of mail in the very first week from us right after. And then they'll get once a week um, for the next eight weeks, so overall they'll get, like I said, 12, uh, 12 pieces of mail um, from us, and then we'll drip in another call um, about midpoint. What I found is a lot of realtors give up. They'll make the initial call. They'll maybe mail one piece, and then they give up. So we, we're just, we're persistent when it comes to that as well, and we'll drip on them, and then eventually they'll they usually actually call us after. Oh, four or five pieces of mail, we have a lot of success you know, with them calling into the office saying that they would like to
1: interview us then. How often are you sending out that mail? Is it daily or weekly? As soon as it comes up on the
2: market that is expired,
1: we'll send out one piece that
2: day. And then two days later, we send out another. And then two days later, we send out another. So in the first week of it being expired, they will get three pieces of mail sent out to them. And then it starts weekly from there on.
1: You mentioned a moving truck. Describe the moving truck to us. Well, we
2: just got a new one. Um, But I've had my moving truck since 1999. And it has my name and my face. And um, it has a a full-blown graphics on both sides of it. And then on the very back, I actually sold um, ads um, to vendors uh, so that they could market their business on there. So the the moving truck was totally zero based. I didn't pay a dime for it because my vendors had, I had like six of them on there. So they actually paid because I had bought it. And so I had a payment and then, so they paid for the truck, you know, over time it was paid for. Then it was time for us to get a new truck. So we've recently purchased um, a large, I think it's like 16 foot uh, moving truck. It has a ramp and um, a dolly, and it has blankets and the whole works, and it's completely white now, and right now we actually have a contest going on with our database, um, having them send in their graphic ideas, and we're actually going to pick the winner from our database.
1: Your old truck, what did it look like on the outside? Did it have your picture? and?
2: Right, right. I had my picture, and it had my logo, and it said buy or sell a truck, or uh, buy or sell a home from me, use this truck to move for free, so people knew that we um, that they got it as a free service. And, and we always tell people that, you know, once a client, always a client. So you're welcome to use our truck to move, but also if you want to use it anytime, like if you have to take your child to college or you want to pick up, um, you know, a bed or, or a piece of furniture that you bought at a local store, you know, just give us a call. And as long as it's not being used by a client that's actually moving, then you're more than welcome to use it. Um, so, we again, it was part of the wanting people to, to remain top of, for us to remain top of mind for them so that they remember that Deanna has her truck and, and that we're free to use at any time.
1: There's going to be some agents who think, boy, a moving truck, isn't there going to be liability? How do you protect yourself from someone running into a tree or having a box fall on their foot?
2: That's what insurance is for. <laughs> no, so the company that I initially bought it from um, actually supplied the insurance policy as well. So um, I had my insurance through them for I don't know ten years probably. Now I do have it through a local insurance agent. Um, so I, you know I just have a I have a policy um, that goes with the truck, and we do have um, a very detailed form that is filled out. Um, that clearly explains the insurance process and what happens if there's an accident and whatnot. And, you know, they, they sign off on it. And so they're well aware of, you know, what would have to transpire if there is an accident.
1: You've had the truck for 10 years? Uh, over, let's see,
2: 1999 was my first year of having a moving truck. So it's been huge for us. Um, it's, you know, it's I mean, the first one is just was so worn out. I mean, it had, you know... It was used all the time. And it's a rolling billboard, you know, and it's a value-added service. Um, Another thing that I had done is I always put the uh, moving truck on the back of my uh, team's business cards. So, for example, if a buyer agent is meeting someone and showing them a house, um, they would hand them their card and it would have a, a picture of our truck on there. And that would be a great reminder for them to, to let that client know that, oh, and by the way, we also have our own moving truck. So if you buy a home from us, you get to use our moving truck for free. Um, it was just an, a, another conversation piece that kind of wowed people.
1: The truck is, is sent out first come, first serve. Is there a sign up system? It is.
2: We have a sign-up and, and our closing manager, actually all of our admin team, it's, we have, it's online and, and um, our entire admin team could go on there and schedule it for someone at any time.
1: You mentioned that your websites, you're generating, you generate 34% of your business last year. What do you mean by that? Where are you advertising? What kind of business is coming in?
2: I've had um, a number one expert site since 1999 so you know i've just had it for a really really long time that you know that generates a fair amount of business my my number one site and and the one that i highly recommend um, is is my real pro site and that has been phenomenal for us it's um it has a it actually drips on every single person that comes in the internet, through the internet, regardless how they came into us, whether it came in through um, our regular Ropro site or our regular um, number one expert site, it we we put them into our Ropro system and then we use that as our automatic drip um, for holding for holding these clients and dripping on them. I call them incubating through through that. So it's been a it's been a fabulous tool, um, and they've con- we've continued to upgrade with them as they change their system. We're now on their, their top platinum program that they use. And so my entire team uses that um, not only to communicate with one another, but then also to, to mark the leads and, and to indicate what's going on with them.
1: What are you doing with social media?
2: We're doing a little bit of everything. Um, I actually have a gal that is I specifically hired um, to embrace it. Um, she's a Gen Y and she totally gets blogging and Facebook and Twitter. and so we've um, we've embraced pretty much all of it. She posts things for us. she um, she constantly is writing on our blog. Um, we and I by the way, I pay for no um, additional search engine optimization at all. Um, I've just we've been able to uh, organically I guess do it in um, and, and our keywords and and I don't it's just a combination of just everything has has positioned us and we're usually the number one number two agent showing up all the time. And I think it's also the fact that we have a lot of listings. Um, and I think it's um, that we're constantly posting things and, and making it um, uh, very consumer friendly. It's not just about houses. I mean, we shall post anything from you know uh, at local activities or community activities or fun things to do. Or um, you know, we're, we're constantly driving people to our website as well. Um, we've one of the best things we did was we had a pet contest where they actually, we posted it everywhere and said, send in your picture of your pet, and then we judged for the, for the cutest pet in Northwest Indiana. And it's things like that that usually drive a lot of traffic and then help people remember us. And we've at, we actually hired an agent because of that um, post, and we've gotten clients because of it, because they see us for someone other than a professional. They see that we're real and that we're fun and that we like to help people. And so it's you know various things like that, so she that's her job is she's our marketer, she's our lead generator, she's our uh p r person, so to speak and um she i mean i that's her title is she's actually you know social media and creative director for the Janet Coddell team we're also we've implemented uh videos we're doing um uh, team videos now and also home videos, and so she's um starting to post those, whether it be on youtube or our website uh or on facebook she you know we've got all the all of that up and going now so that's been interesting so she's starting to do like team member of the week where she actually interviews them and they give a little plug on there and and whatnot so we're just trying to roll with it trying to stay cutting edge trying to stay exciting trying to stay energetic i think that's what sellers want they want people that even if um Even if it doesn't sell their house, it it could, and and so we try just a little bit of everything and let people know that we're not um, afraid of change, that we embrace it, and um, then they want to do business with you.
1: You've probably experimented with a lot of marketing over the years. What was the worst marketing idea you tried?
2: Well, I remember spending money on... um, We have water bills in our town, and I actually had done all the printing of of water bill envelopes and I remember putting my name and face all over it and everything because and I was going to take it to the water company and say if you can hand these out when pe- with their bills because people would never they wouldn't get the envelopes from the water company. Okay? They would just send a bill and then people would have to use their own envelope. So it was my bright idea that I'm going to have all these envelopes printed up and get have them send twelve envelopes to each homeowner so they would have to mail their bill back in. And they had I had done all that, didn't check with the water department and had no idea that they were changing their billing system. So that was a real expensive thing. I was like, okay, well that I didn't seek first understand and really um dive into, you know, that but that was just, you know, I thought it was such a fabulous idea, you know, and it would keep Keep people, you know, every time they paid their water bill, they'd have to send it in one of my envelopes. So, um, but I don't know that that was the worst. Um, I, you know, I, I've always been very good about lo- making sure something was going to be a good return. And if it didn't work, I didn't just keep doing it for the ego. Um, I just I would look at it and and try to see if it does this make sense for me to to spend the money. Um, I would say billboards, uh, you know, for one year I did do billboards for this huge subdivision that I had and spent a lot of money that, you know, the builder and the, or the developer really kind of pushed that I do. Um, and I don't really, it, it wasn't a good return for me. Um, but I think I, I felt like I needed to do it. Um, or I, or I had, you know, I listened to him, and I, I, twisted, you know, he twisted my arm, and I ended up paying for it, and it cost me a lot of money, and you know, of course, you have no sales that were generated from those billboards, so that was probably the biggest waster. Um, one of the best things I ever did was, um, well, I think the good old fashioned database mailings work, and and I also think that uh, just listed and just sold cards work. I would say the the sold cards in the subdivisions um sending out you know especially if it's a subdivision that you want to get more listings in I would and it, and it, you know had nice listings and everything I would send out 300 sold cards to those um and I I would get get good business from that. because People would remember that I'm you know that I'm actually selling things and I get results. So I, I think that that is a fabulous return. Um, I think pursuing expires and FISBOs is a great return because for as little amounts of money is, that you you know spend on pursuing them, whether it be by phone or, or even mailing something to them, I think that there's just a great return. You just have to do it and you have to put time on the task over time in order you know, to get a good return. Um, another thing is um, I had a client appreciation party for women, and I rented um this place where they actually got massages, they had pedicures, we, you know, pretty much catered to them all day. And I I think it cost me two or three thousand dollars, between two and three thousand, I think it was like twenty four hundred. I'm going off memory here. Um and, and I actually got ninety four thousand dollars in gross commission income that generated from that party. And it was just because people were sitting around and they were, I, found, I thought they were just going to pop in for a service and leave and they ended up kind of sticking around. And then they started talking to each other and then they would say, well, she sold my house in two weeks or she sold my house in three days. And, or we bought our house from Jana, you know, seven years ago. And, um, and so it, it, was, um, it, was a, it was a neat thing and they felt very appreciated. Um, and I found that instead of buying thank you gifts through the year, that it was better to do something like that, and just have a big party.
1: And so now you do that once a month?
2: No, 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 no. I haven't. I, you know, you would think I would repeat it. I because since I got a good return, I haven't had it, had another one again. But, um, no, you know, I, now we we'll do giveaways. You know, we'll have like a um, free giveaway, and we'll send it out to our database, or we'll we'll have them on uh, Thanksgiving. They all get a pie from us. All they have to do is go online and, and pick their pie and that's a way for us to keep make sure that we get like an updated email from them okay because they, they, they get a postcard in the mail and it says you know thank you for your business and referrals. Um, we tr- you know truly appreciate you and it, it, of course it's the whole Thanksgiving th- theme and then it'll say have a pie on us and they have to go online and they get to order like a pecan, an apple or a pumpkin pie. And then we get their order, and then that way we know how many pies to get in. And they have to come in the week of Thanksgiving and pick it up. We have it on a set day that they come into the office and get them. And even if they don't get one, they feel like we gave them something. So as as many as we send out, we usually only get 100, I would say, who actually come in and get it. But so many of them said, oh, we got our free pie card, but then they just forgot to go online and order it. We've done that for. We do it for flowers for Valentine's Day. We do, um, you know, they get they just get little perks throughout the year. If we have a Chris, Christmas shopping extravaganza at our office, so we invite them to that. You know, there's just various things that we get. We invite them to, and we remind them about our truck. You know, we'll we'll send. And now that we're getting new graphics on this new one, we'll send out. We'll let them know that hey, you know, here's. Here's our new truck. And as a reminder, this is, you know, you get to always use it. So what's happening is a lot of the people that we've sold to in the past now have children that are buying. And their children remember us, you know, from that they had used me, you know, over the past 15 years.
1: Do you have an annual client appreciation party?
2: I don't. You know what? And that's one thing that I've always, uh, I've actually wanted to do the movie theater um, idea, and that's something that we're going to do this fall um, because I've had uh, several of my realtor friends that have had huge, huge success with the movie theater idea. So, um, but no, I don't. I just, I feel like um, I just kind of, I guess, consistently stay in touch with them and consistently appreciate them. And I just really think it, that it's all about um, gradually doing things and, and every single month and staying top of mind versus, you know, doing one big bang thing.
1: You're doing all this market generation, lead generation. When a lead comes in, how do you capture and track that lead?
2: We have buyer agents um, that are on our team. And so, first of all, any lead that comes in, comes into two of my admin team members. And one of them distributes it to... Whether it's a listing lead or a buyer lead, depending on what it is, they assign it. Uh, we have one one buyer agent that's on call every single day, and they they're actually in the office. So if it's a buyer lead that comes in, someone li- takes that lead live, whether it was a call in or on the internet, and so then it gets assigned. We actually use Red Tools, and it gets in, uh, assigned to our Red Tools, um, and then it gets it gets monitored, so they know that they have a you know they have to respond quickly to it. Um, if it's a listing lead, my listing coordinator actually contacts the person and then assigns it to the listing specialist after the after they've gotten the appointment.
1: What is Red Tools?
2: It's a company that it, it's like a database management. We did use Top Producer and now we use Red Tools.
1: So Red Tools is a database online or in the cloud that you're keeping these initial leads as they come in.
2: Yes. And our entire database is on there, right?
1: Oh, you've moved your entire database over there as well.
2: Yep. Mm-hmm.
1: And why did you choose Red Tools?
2: That would be a good conversation to have with my uh, closing manager, um, who is also my team manager. She's um, She found that to be a product that was cutting edge and, and um, they had great marketing that we could also embrace. Just found it to be the better choice for our contact management I very much empower my team members. I obviously have a team that does the work, because I really don't do anything anymore. But they're the CEO of their department, and Chandra you know, is always trying to stay cutting edge, and she felt that this was a better tool.
1: Let's start talking about teams and team building. You've been in the business for 15, 16 years, you said? This is my 16th year. When did you bring on your first team member or assistant? My very first
2: hire was after my first full year. So the first year in the business I did everything by myself and just quickly saw that when I was in the office I was I didn't want to be in the office. You know, it wasn't the best use of my time. So I hired um someone to help me with the closings and some of the some of the administrative functions and and that was pretty much helped me go to a different level than the second year. So I've always I I didn't really set out to have a huge team. It just kind of evolved over the years. Um, but I was also, I had a baby at the time, and I was having more babies, and I found that I needed some leverage in my life, and it just made perfect sense, too, in order to provide good service. And also to get everything done, I needed help, and I couldn't be everywhere all the time. So my, I started with administrative help. And then my second hire was also another administrative helper, um, and then my third hire was a buyer agent, and I handed all my buyer leads to her, and that was um, that was in my third year of the business when I did that. And then once I um, handed all the buyer all the buyer business over to her, um, I was able to concentrate you know, only on listings. And I went from 20 to 50 listings in a matter of three months' time just because of, of the power of focus and and doing one thing. And so I ended up when, – when that happened, then my, fir- my one buyer agent needed, needed help. So I hired my second buyer agent. And then I was the only lister for, oh, probably up to seven years into it. Um, and I just really – was to the point where I was just really burnt out. I was listing, you know, over 200 some homes a year and I was just tired and and just really actually kind of bored um, sitting at the kitchen table. So I ended up hiring a listing specialist and um, basically just to help me out a little bit and also just to train them. And then I found that I really, in order for me to totally step out of the listing arena, which was my plan, I really needed two people to replace me, so I ended up hiring um, two listing specialists and then, um, you know, haven't done, you know, quit working with buyers four or five years ago, and then I quit working with sellers. I've actually stepped, I'm, I'm down one listing specialist right now, and I have actually been going on a few listings here lately, um, only because I want to, though, not because I have to, so it's, it's been kind of nice to not, to have it run without me, without me being there.
1: So your current team pretty much generates all the day-to-day operations without you.
2: Absolutely. Yep. And it has for probably four years. So I'm the number one agent on my board. I have been for eight solid years and four of the past four years, I've not actively been involved in the day-to-day operations. They don't see
1: me very often. Let's go back to that first assistant. Were they full-time or part-time?
2: They were actually part-time the first year because I was afraid to hire someone full-time. And so they, they came every day. And, and that would be my, my uh, the pearl or, or a huge tip was if you're going to hire someone part-time, don't hire them like Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Do, do it every single day, but only maybe a few hours a day. And so she would come in, and she was actually an, an agent that just didn't enjoy generating leads. She, she really loved the paperwork side of things. So um, she stopped selling and just worked for me when it came to all my closings and the closing management. So she would come in, and she'd probably work three, four hours a day, and then she would go home, and, but I had her every single day. So she was my first administrative helper. And then I got to a point where we were obviously that took, gave me a lot of my time back, and so I was selling more and we got to a point where I really needed, you know, I, I needed someone to help me with the listing coordination, the, um, the marketing, even advertising and whatnot. And so I hired my, uh, another person and she actually worked full time.
1: And then did the first person stay on part-time at that point? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. So I had like a one and a half for several years. Yeah.
1: Now, a quick word from our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, where top agents reveal exactly how they create consistent flows of home buyer and home seller leads into their practices every month. Need more leads? Hit the pause button right now. Open Google and search RealGTV. That's R-E-A-L-G dot TV. Now, back to the show. So let's go back and stay focused on that first assistant for a minute for those folks that are thinking about taking on their first person. There's probably a lot of fear. You obviously came in with it part-time. Did you have money in the bank to pay that person? Looking back, no, I really didn't. I think I, you know, I just felt like if this person
2: did a good job for me and and took took things off my plate, the way I looked at it is when I I was wearing a secretary's hat or an administrative person's hat when I was in the office, and I didn't enjoy being in the office. I enjoyed being in front of the buyers and sellers and at that time because I was handling all the sales myself. But, and that's what I wanted to do, and that's what I was good at, and that's what I, I was having more fun doing. And that, that, it was just a better return for my time. And and so it didn't make sense to me to wear, you know, I think that's what you have to look at is when you're in the office and you're not enjoying yourself, you're basically paying whatever whatever the going rate is in your area. Back then it was 8, 9, 10 dollars an hour. So I had I was wearing that 8, 9, 10 dollar hat when I was in the office. And then when I'd go out and I'd set it at a seller's table, that was worth a lot more. And so it just made sense for me to personally be outside of the office. So when I looked at it like that, it only made sense. Um, plus, it was a matter of service for me because I'm, I'm a stickler for service, and that's how I built my business was that people you know, got communicated with, and they, they knew what was going on. And, and I found that the busier I got, I couldn't provide that kind of service. And so you know, I was either going to go down in my service, and I, I couldn't stand that. So I, I pretty much was forced to have to get someone to help. So I took the leap of faith and I, and I hired someone. And you know then obviously I think what helps is when you hire someone good. And if you have talent in your world and, and they're helping you take so much of this off your plate and they're doing a great job and your clients are happy, but your clients don't care if it's you doing it. They just want someone to do it and they want it to do, be done well. If there's any complaints, it's usually because that person's not, not good enough. Um, but if, you're, if you hire a really great person to take that off your plate and they're doing a great job, the client doesn't care who's delivering
1: the service. Let's talk about your team today. Who is on your team and what their titles are, what their tasks and responsibilities?
2: My closing manager, who is also um, my, team, my team leader, I would call her, um, and that's Chandra. And Chandra um, has been with me for nine years. So she's been around a long time. Um, she started in an administrative position, and um, as actually a listing coordinator, and then she became the closing manager, and then she became the leader of my team. When uh, the past three, four years, when I haven't been ar- around as much, so she's the main point of contact for the team. Um, and if she, if Chandra needs my main point of contact is Chandra then. Um, And then I have a listings manager, and that's Jennifer. And Jennifer's been with us probably close to seven years. And she handles um, all the sellers, you know, getting the paperwork ready, getting the um, file ready for the listing specialist. She um, communicates with the sellers, you know, provides some feedback. Um, She's the initial person they talk to if they uh, call in to want to, you know, go on a listing Um, She does the seller profile sheets, sends out all the the pre-listing book and whatnot. So that's uh, her main job. And then uh, Tiffany is our social media creative director, um, marketing, whatever, social media creative director. And so she handles all the, you know, posting everything on the internet, just getting, really pretty much getting our listings promoted as well as our team. So all the PR for, for both listings and for the team, generating more business. Um, she also helps with uh, FSBO and, and expired campaigns and um, that type of thing. Then I have, um, well, two listing specialists, counting me now, but typically, any, normally I have two listing specialists at any given time. Um, And that's another tip I would recommend if you're going to hire someone to help you with listings, don't just hire one person. Hire two. That way you don't get the job back, especially if you don't want it. Uh Uh-huh. So um, buyer agents, I have four. And usually I have anywhere from two to four. Um, Right now I just happen to have four. I I just added um, another one on the team. So, um, but yeah. And one of my buyer agents has been with us probably – Eight years, I would say. She's our best buyer agent. She's done very, very well with us, and um, so you know we we try to hire buyer agents like Brenda because she she's a machine and she can sell a lot of houses. And then I have a commercial specialist who ha- who happens to be my husband, and so he handles all commercial aspects. We um, I had mentioned I have eighty residential listings. He probably has a good twenty-five to thirty commercial listings as well. So we actually have well over 100 signs up, um, but he definitely. We do a lot of joint marketing um, because we would get a lot of commercial inquiries, and then um, you know it's just a whole different animal. So we actually have one person who handles every all the commercial, and he's very very good at that.
1: A lot of, especially newer agents, are wondering, well, geez, you've got all these people running around. How are they being compensated? Are they being paid hourly, sourly, commission? How, how are they being paid?
2: The listing specialists and the buyer agents and the commercial specialists are all commission-driven. And um, the administrative team are salary uh, with incentives. So each, each of them actually get... Um, you know it and it's incentives based on sales, so, for example, the listing coordinator, she makes a base salary, and that's jennifer she she actually gets every time a listing closes, she gets um an additional fee um, on top of that as an incentive because we want to generate excitement for these listings to get sold and to get closed. and then the closing manager also makes a, a base salary, but then she also gets paid on for every closing, whether it be on the buy, because she handles the buyer closings and the listing closings for the team. And she actually gets um, incentivized on every closing as well.
1: Do you pay the listing specialist and the buyer specialist the same percent?
2: No, not at all. And I would highly, highly recommend um, that teams not do that um, because it definitely affects the bottom line. Um, listing specialists, the most they get paid is 25% and the highest um, I have the buyer agents on is 50% and mainly um, the, the difference in this in the two is because there's such a huge um, uh, cost of sale on the listing side of things it costs to generate the lead it costs to market the listing it costs to uh, service the listing and so that you know we're going more on volume when it comes to the listing specialist, um, because, you know, they can list up to, I mean, some months could be 25, 30 homes, you know, on, on a, in a good month, or as low as, you know, it could be 10, 15. So there, it's more on the volume that they're um, listing and then
1: closing, well, you said the maximum, so does it start at a lower percent than 25 and 50 and work its way up based on volume or production?
2: The buyer agents typically start out at a 40% um, on the team. And then uh, once they've proven, they you know, have proven sales with us or proven time uh, with the team, then, then they would be moved up to 50. So it's just that I would never pay more than 50% um, just because of, of the cost of doing business. So, yeah, none of my buyer agents have ever made more than 50% with me um, because of the volume. I mean, they get, you know, the value. There's huge value of being on our team, uh, one, the leads, um, and then but also all the administrative help that they get. You know, keep in mind a buyer agent, sometimes all they have to do is book the appointment. There's not a lot of, um, you know, incubation going on. There's also... You know, I mean, they, they ha- there's no lead generation really going on um, besides them doing the follow-up on the leads that they've already gotten.
1: What type of tasks are each of these folks responsible for? Let's start with buyer agents since we were there. What's happening there? You're generating a lead that comes in and, and then who picks it up from there?
2: we do the majority of the of the generating the lead. And I feel like as a rainmaker and as a leader of the team that that's, that's my responsibility. Um, I So first and foremost, I expect them to just, you know, handle that lead, incubate that lead, convert that lead, um, service that lead that I've handed to them. And that, that's what I want them to do first and foremost. Um, I think a lot of teams, you know, start out and they, they want – they want their buyer agents out there generating the leads. At that, if that's the case, then I don't think that they probably are even ready for that team member to come on. So for me, it's it's a team needs to. That's the rainmaker's responsibility is to be able to hand those leads to the to the buyer agent, and then it's the buyer agent's responsibility to make something happen with it. So um, you know, we we have pretty high accountability. I mean, we we monitor it on Red Tools. We monitor it on RealPro they have access to that. I mean, they're required to constantly drip on someone. We have the right to pull that lead from a, um, a buyer agent that it was assigned to if they're not touching them or if they're not doing something with them or or even if they're not converting them. Sometimes it's a matter of moving somebody and having someone else touch them. So um, we, we monitor that, and that's something that Chandra does. She actually has one-on-ones with each of our buyer agents, and we you know, we're constantly monitoring the progress and their results. The buyer agent's responsibility, they're responsible for, you know, making deals happen and, and taking it and running with it and getting them under contract. They don't handle any of the closing aspects of it. Once it goes, um, once they've had a home inspection, it's turned over to Chandra, and Chandra handles it from that point on.
1: Buyer agent is handling the home inspection and the negotiation that follows?
2: Yes. They actually go to the, um, well, they'll... They turn in the file to Chandra, but they're aware of what's going on during the home inspection. Chandra can negotiate the home inspection. She actually does that for the listing specialist a lot of times, but she, uh, the buyer agents are pretty much responsible for negotiating their own home inspections. And then once it's been, that's done, the buyer agent turns it over to Chandra. Chandra takes it you know, for the next 30 days until it gets closed.
1: Who goes to the closing
2: the buyer agent actually goes to the actual closing. So Chandra will let them know when it's scheduled. They put it on their calendar to go to it. And then they're, so they're the last person to see,
1: to see them. Let's walk through the listing specialist. I assume the same concept. You're a rainmaker. You're generating the lead. Does the listing specialist get the lead and set the appointment or does somebody else? The listing co- coordinator,
2: my listings manager, Jennifer, she actually takes the call and she is the one that sets the appointment. She has access to the listing specialist calendars and so she books the appointments for them. So she, she does all the preliminary work. She gets the seller profile sheet done. She, she um, sends out the pre-list book and schedules the appointment. So pretty much all the listing agent has to do is show up and present and persuade and convince them to list with our team. And so then they get the listing. They're responsible for um, filling out the paperwork. And we have one checklist after another in the file. So it's pretty simple to follow um, the process. And they actually do write up their own comments on the house since they were there. And then they turn the file in to, back to Jennifer. And then Jennifer um, gets, it, gets it into the MLS and then starts the marketing um, checklist on everything that needs to be done. So between Jennifer and Tiffany, um, our creative marketing director, um, the two of them, we actually have a marketing checklist of everything that needs to be done for that particular home, and they actually make the the plan happen. So the listing specialist is responsible for, they actually get um, carboned on all of our um, showings, so they know what's going on, they see the feedback, they see when a showing's happening, but they don't do the commu- really necessarily the communication with the seller. Majority of the communication is coming from Jennifer, our listings manager. And then, um, you know, any price reductions or just uh, negotiating the offer is actually the listing specialist.
1: So a listing specialist comes back in to negotiate the offer?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. And then um, then once it's under contract, it goes. it's handed off to Chandra, the closing manager again. And moved out of the listing uh, manager's, you know, I guess work to do, and, and, and it's on Chandra's side. So, but the but the client always knows when the baton is getting passed, and I think um, that's something that we're very good at. We we set the stage on this is how our team works. Uh, you know this. You know everybody knows what's going on. You know it's not like one hand doesn't know what the other's doing. Um, the baton definitely gets passed and it gets passed in a way that the client feels comfortable and not, it, it, where they don't feel like they're just being passed off to someone else.
1: Does the listing specialist perform the negotiation inspection?
2: It depends on if they want to. Um, if not, Chandra can do it for them. If, if they can't, for whatever reason, if, if it's any of mine that I've gone on, Chandra usually performs mine.
1: And the listing specialist goes to the closing?
2: Yes. Unless it's mine, Chandra goes to mine. <laughs> I used to, I used to go to all of mine, but I don't anymore.
1: Who's licensed on the team? Chandra, all the all of the listing agents are, all of the buyer agents
2: are, and Chandra, my closing nego- or um, manager who also is able to negotiate home inspections or
1: The listing manager and marketing creative director are not.
2: Right. Which is why they, I mean, they're calling on behalf of the team. It, it, you know, they, really, Jennifer's the only one that will talk with, um, really, just a seller client, and she's calling on behalf of me or the listing specialist, And she, but she's not talking to them about any real estate, really. You know what I mean? It's more servicing and, you know, their actual listing.
1: Do you prefer to hire brand new agents into your team or experienced agents?
2: I've had both. Honestly, I prefer to hire someone with the right personality profile for that. And it really doesn't matter to me if they've had experience or not. Um, I think it, it matters to me if they have the right profile for that job. And I, actually, most of my most successful have been brand new. But I've had, I've had some experienced agents that have been successful as long as they have the right profile.
1: Do you have quotas for your buyer specialist and listing specialist? Not so much the listing
2: specialist. Um, I mean, we monitor it. We we watch what they're doing. We see what kind of gross commission income. We see their success ratio. I mean, if they're not getting, with, with everything we have in place, if they're not getting the listing, then that's a presentation issue. Um, so perhaps we need to work on that. You know, I mean, so we monitor it. Honestly, you know, but but majority of my listing agents have always gotten. if they're not getting the listings, then I then I find that that's that's my way of knowing that they're just not they're not presenting well because it's definitely not our team or the marketing. It's just it's how they're presenting it or how they're articulating it. Um, in regards to the buyer agents, yes, we we like our buyer agents to close a minimum of twenty um, a year, twenty four, preferably. But there's been years when I've had a couple of new ones that, you know, 18, 20 deals. And as long as they're putting forth the effort and I see that they've got potential, we don't, we don't boot them off the team. I don't really go by the per-month thing of two deals a month because in our area, because of the weather and whatnot, there could be months that they not have two. And I don't want to, you know, I'm looking at the overall performance, not just that month's performance. And so, you know, I think that stresses people out when they think, oh, I didn't get my two in for this month. But then one month they might have done six. So I'm looking more for the average. And, and we just, you know, are constantly monitoring that and just making sure that um, they're getting the results. Because if they're not getting the results, they're not happy either. They're not making the money and they're not happy either.
1: You mentioned listing specialists and a success ratio. I assume that's the number of listing appointments they go on that they actually achieve a signed listing. What's an acceptable percentage?
2: I think that they need to get 9 out of 10 that they go on. Now, if you're throwing in the ones that, let's say, um, someone went on it, but they didn't end up listing, period. Okay? So then we're really not losing that one. We, we We didn't lose it to another agent. Let's just put it that way. So I, I like to see a ninety percent or better ratio when they're actually up against someone and that seller actually lists. If someone, let's say the seller just doesn't end up listing, they either you know for whatever reason they've decided not to sell, um, or they can't sell right now, perhaps, or it's not a good market for them to sell in. Whatever, whatever the case may be, it then typically I'm looking for a seventy percent on that. Um, maybe down to sixty percent with with the market, but if if you're sometimes we can talk them into selling, or there, there's another way that we can help them. Um, so I I just don't. I, if there's anything less than that, then chances are they're not articulating our value proposition well enough.
1: Who's been training these people to come on board?
2: Well, now they're trained by our team members and Chandra. Early on, it was me. I, tra- you know, I trained all the administrative people. And then you know, keep in mind, a lot of them have been with me a long time. So um, like I initially had trained Chandra, and another team member had cha- trained her as well that was in that position or within another admin position. Now Chandra does a lot of the training. Uh, we also, they tap into our company training. Which we have a lot of that going on all the time. And then we have a lot of online training that they're able to tap into. Um, But we have, you know, our own team training. We call it our boot camp. That for each particular position, I mean, they know how to get trained. But it's usually another team member. If it's a buyer agent, they get trained by our lead buyer agent. And the first um, six closings, they're actually under her supervision. And she gets a percentage of. Of their uh, their first six sales, listing specialists were always trained by me, and probably still are, um, because I do. If I monitor anything, it's it's the, the listing side of things, and um, you know I, I get involved and I, or I'm I'm abreast of all the emails. I'm abreast of the status reports. I don't attend a lot of the listing meetings. Um, I do every so often. Um, I actually am going to be attending the one that we're having, you know, this coming week, but, um, I really let Chandra handle things.
1: Do listing specialists have to be buyer specialists first?
2: No, nope, no. Um, but I do think that, that they make a better listing agent if they have, but usually people, I I find that people are better on one side of the fence or the other. And, I, and that's definitely, I mean, I, I run the specialist model because I find that if they're really good at listings, usually they don't like the buyer side as well. Um, I find that people can do both decent, but usually there's a passion for one side or the other. So for example, my top buyer agent, would she really doesn't want to be a listing agent. She she enjoys working with buyers and that's what her passion is.
1: Do you allow the buyer specialist to work with sellers or the listing specialist to work with buyers?
2: No. No. We've made an exception here and there but usually it doesn't work and um we explained that this is kind of how our model works and this is how our teams ran and we've done it like this for well at least 12 years now and it just that's what works best for us it allows them to focus it allows them to master um, they're one side of things, and you know each side benefits because the more listings we have, the more buyer calls we have. They get just to be really, really great at what they do, and usually, usually if they don't know what side of the fence they they want, we sometimes will allow them to kind of do both for about six weeks, and then to, quickly they just they determine that they need to pick one side of the fence. But most of them come on and and just go right into that slot. Like most of them know which one they're more passionate about.
1: How much time do you spend working in the team per week? It's a good question. It depends on the year.
2: For a while there, I would say for about three years, the, the past three years, I, it was about an hour a week. However, this past year, I have found myself probably doing it more. So it depends on the week. Um, I, you know, it's no more than five or 10 hours a week, though. So I would, I would say anywhere from an hour to 10 hours a week. And all that depends on what it is I want to be involved in and how much. I'm a broker owner of, of my real estate company, so I spend some time with my key people in that arena. Lately, I've been down a listing specialist, so I've been helping out with some overflow of listings that I actually want to go on. So, you know, it just depends on the week. It really does. And I just, I believe you need to do what you love and love what you do. So there's times when I dive in and I, I want to be a part of it. And I, you know, I add few, you know, I add the gasoline, I add the creativity, I add the ideas, um, I may train, I may help them. And then there's times when they don't really need me because it's just, it's moving.
1: Does the team have periodic meetings
2: they have a monthly team meeting that everybody comes to, and Chandra actually leads that. And then every week the buyer agents meet with Chandra and the listing agents meet with Chandra separately. So we have a listing meeting and a buyer meeting. And then the administrative team, keep in mind, I mean, they communicate every single day together. They all work in in the same area. Also, the team setup, what I found works best is the listing manager is in with the listing specialist and that provides for better communication, what's going on, um, just the talking, you know, the overhearing things, um, setting up appointments, just whatnot, that's just, that's works well. And then the buyer agents are all in one room together. Um, we have this huge room and it just has like... Um, what is it, countertops, like, and, and workstations, and they're all in the same room together. Now, not all of them are in there every day, but there are days when they're all in there, and then there's days when only one's in there. Um, but we always have one person that's on call, um, the agent on duty. And then Chandra actually has a separate office, but it's, it's right across the hall from everybody. Um, so, you know, and then the creative director is right around the corner from everyone, too. So everyone hears what's going on.
1: How much space do you have for the team?
2: We have a total of, we have six total offices. My husband has an office for the commercial division, creative director, Chandra, and then the listing team, the buyer team, and then me. I have a separate office, but we're all in the same area. So I would say total square footage, maybe 2,000 square feet, 2,500 tops.
1: What equipment do you provide for the team and what equipment would they have to provide for themselves?
2: I provide all the computers, you know, everything. They they provide their own cell phones. That's about it. And then they pay for their own board dues as well.
1: Do you pay for business cards for your specialists? Yes. How about gas for their card?
2: Nope. No, they pay for their own gas and everything. The reason I pay for the business cards too is I I want a certain look. I wanted the one with the truck on it. I wanted the nice, pretty logo. I wanted, you know, the quality business card, so I just decided it was easier for us to order them and pay for them. It's more of an image control, honestly.
1: Do the specialists have to pay for any kind of desk fee or monthly fee? No. Do you have any special team trips, retreats, getaways, or events?
2: We have. In fact, we have um, next week, I'm taking them to my lake house, and we're having a lake day. Um, and we're probably not going to really talk business that day. It's going to just be more um, get out of the office, bond, have fun in the sun, I'll cook for them, you know, that type of thing. Um, we we do. We have, you know, social events together. Our office as a whole has a social committee, um, and so we – Usually once a month, our entire office gets together for things like that. When obviously the team is invited to the, those type of functions, but um, our team does. I mean, they'll do winter events together. They've gotten together and played Wii before. Um, you know, had Wii tournaments with their husbands and everything. Um, you know, so we we definitely have fun together. I believe that, you know, that's part of the whole bonding process and and building of a of a powerful team is to care about each other and like to hang out with each other.
1: Do you cross-train the members of the team?
2: The administrative team is all cross-trained. They could easily fill in for each other on vacations. Buyer agents, obviously, all help each other out while they're on vacation. Like, one my best buyer agent just went to Italy for 10 days, so the entire buyer team helped with her business. The listing specialist obviously can fill in for each other, or I could fill in if needed. Um, If I absolutely had to send one of my buyer agents on a listing appointment, we could, and and it would be fine.
1: There's going to be some people looking at this, watching all these people running around, and a question is going to pop up, are you profitable?
2: Yes, or I wouldn't do it. Let's just put it that way. I am very, very into the bottom line. I learned a long time ago that there were lots of agents that sold lots of houses and brought in a ton of um, gross commission income that weren't making any money. And to me, it just doesn't make sense to do it. I'm not I'm not in it for the ego and to be on top and or to walk across the stage. So I'm in it to run a successful business and to be profitable. Or why do it? So I totally pay attention to that which is why I've had to make some of the tough decisions and which is why I don't pay any more than 25% on the listing side and which is why I would never pay any more than 50% on the buyer side things like that so um but no I've I've always paid attention to our, the return I've I've ran a profitable business since day 1 and I've always said that especially with me being out of it and not being in it as much if there's times when it doesn't make sense for me to be gone. Um, then, then I'll step back in to do certain things because it doesn't make sense, you know, to not be profitable. So we pay very, very close attention. Um, am I making as much money now as I did four or five years ago? No, um, but it's still, I still, I still make a profit and I still make a good living at doing this. And I've always said that the day that I don't is the day that there's no point doing it.
1: For somebody who's trying to plan out and strategize, would you be willing to disclose what kind of net profit margin you could achieve at at the level you're at right now where you're not working in the business versus four or five years ago when you were uh, actively working in the business?
2: You know, I actually do some coaching uh, with high-level agents. Um, People Typically, my coaching clients are um, people that have a team, that is a rainmaker that wants to either tweak or optimize their current situation or they're struggling with the whole team building or the leadership aspect or possibly stepping out but yet still running a, a good business and not going backwards. So I I coach typically, they're they doing five six seven hundred in GCI or above. Um, they've already built a team and they just wanted to do it better. or Or perhaps, I mean, I'm a mother of four children, so I've also had kids while I've built this business. So I totally get the whole work-life balance. Maybe people who are, you know, working themselves to the bone and they're just exhausted and they they think there's just no way I want to do this anymore or I can't keep doing this. This is not a good quality of life. I mean, I definitely help people get through that um, ceiling, you know, as well. So, and, and for people like that, then I go through and I say, this is how much you need to be netting um, you know, depends on the GCI, obviously, that's brought in for that particular year. Um, but I, I'm very good at knowing what the cost of sale is, what percentages, for, you know, you should be paying for each, what you should be giving your company, what is excessive to be giving your company, um, or if you're a part of a franchise, you know, what what kind of franchise fees are going out the door, because in the end, it's all leaving your pocket, and it doesn't make sense to do that sometimes. So, um, I have a very very good handle on what's what's necessary, what's not, what's you know what's what's crazy, um, and then I think too, being a mother, being a mother and balancing and having you know being the household you know person in charge of my household as well as, as, as with my children and everything, I had to learn leverage and you know how do you hire these people and who do you hire and what kind of standards do you have in place um, for them? You know without you know I mean some people think that. You know, you're hard to work for because you have standards, and that's not true. Um, there's just, you know, your clients expect a certain level of service, and so, you know, you you need to expect that from the people that work for you. Um, and so, you know, it's just, it's, um that's something that I definitely share with if, if someone was interested in, in I guess, taking, you know, but that they have to be very, very serious. I I, I actually don't. I'm not, I'm, it's not for the weak. Let's just put it that way. They have to be, you know, they have to be tough in, in order to be able to handle because it's not easy to build. There's a lot of people who want to do what, what I've done or what some of the top agents have built, but they don't want to do what they have to do to get there. And they also don't want to have to continue to, to make the smart business decisions that they have to do in order to stay on top.
1: So what kind of net profit margin as a percentage of your overall business have you been running?
2: My best year ever. I will I'll share my best year ever and then I'll share as of late cuz we're not doing as much in the commission uh, arena that we did in our best year. So in 2006 that was my best year ever and we did 2.3 million in commissions and we actually netted 1.3 million that year. So there you know there's um that was a pretty good return considering you know your he your your gross commission income and then your cost of sales. So that's um, and and I try I really really try to have anywhere from forty five to fifty percent net to the bottom line. So regardless of of the commission that's brought in.
1: Was that when you were actively participating in the business? Two thousand and six. That I was actually the
2: leader on the team. I wasn't doing. Any sales I was doing a lot of the lead generating a lot of the marketing you know overseeing things I was leading the team. I was there every day, but I wasn't really listing. I'd go on maybe some of the bigger um, developments or talk you know with builders or you know and get the initial, but I wasn't probably actually doing a lot of the work so that was the best year we ever had and then the past three years. You know it depends on the year i've kept we've kept it um you know around a million in commissions um last year we fell short last year just obviously it just wasn't as good of a year um it's probably one of the worst years we had in well' in fifth in the since probably my second or third year in the business, but we had like close to eight hundred thousand in g c i so i you know we still netted around the 50% mark. I think it was like 42%. Um, So for not being there and not doing anything, you know, I mean, I don't feel like I'm working now compared to the way I used to work. Um, Now it's very much fun for me. So, you know, for not doing that, I still feel like it's a business worth owning.
1: Do you have other affiliate businesses that you're running?
2: We own our brokerage. We have over 100 agents in our real estate office that my husband and I own and I am the main, like I'm the operating partner of that and I have a team leader that actually runs things for me on that side of things and then we own um, 50% of a title company and then I obviously do my coaching, consulting, speaking um, type business that's separate on my own Um, and then obviously I'm, a mom—that's that's a whole—that's a whole other business right there. So,
1: so that's a full time job right there.
2: It's a full time job as well. So yeah. So I—I I, I mean, I would say you know the brokerage side of things. I, you know, I don't spend a lot of time—maybe an hour, two hours a week on that as well. I do—I do some training for them. I also consult our top agents in our company, um, just as a as a perk um, for them being a part of our agent leadership council. And I'll attend our office meeting once a month. And, you know, if, I, if I'm if i needed, I consult with my team leader uh, weekly for a couple of hours. So anywhere from, I'd say, two to five hours tops is what I spend on, on that business. So it's probably more like two. The way I look at it is I don't want to be there. I don't want to babysit. I want to hire leaders and I want to hire great people. And if you hire the right people, you don't have to be there. And actually, great people don't have to be held accountable to either because talented, great people don't – they just do it. You know what I mean? They don't have to have someone watching over them or making sure they're getting the job done. They actually want to please you. So I've just learned um, – I, I think that there's an art to that. And I think that – you know, I've done lots of studying of leadership um, – I, it's just extremely important to me to be a great leader. And I think great leaders are great hirers as well. And their response, in the end, I'm responsible. And so if something does happen on either side of you know, the companies that I own, I still take full responsibility because in the end, I either hired them or I trained them um, or was responsible for their training. And so sometimes it's not a training issue. Sometimes it's just totally a hiring issue. And in the end, that's my responsibility. So I'm very, very adamant about putting the right people um on my bus and putting in them in the right seat. Um because it makes them happy, it makes me happy and and then in the end the, the client gets serviced well as well.
1: What motivates you? What drives you? I like to do
2: things really well and I like to accomplish things. Um I'm driven by um creating things and and um you know being being, I guess, leaving a legacy, making things better. So I'm, I'm very motivated by that. I'm motivated by doing a great job for people and pleasing them, and, and um, you know, I just, I guess, winning. I like to win. I'm very competitive. You know, I, I guess, I'm motivated by money. I mean, because I like, I like what I can do with money. What, you know, so not the greed of money, but just you know, obviously I want to make a lot of money because I want to be able to to make this world a better place. So I want to be able to provide for my family and, and to have, you know, nice things, and, and we do. And But then once you get all of that, you know, um, nice houses, nice cars, nice jewelry, whatever, I mean, once you've had all the material things, I mean, that's not really the motivating factor. The motivating factor is being happy and, and being fulfilled and making a difference in the world. And so I think I'm motivated by that. I like to share. I like to give, um, especially when it comes to my industry. I feel like I've been extremely blessed. Um, God has, you know, put me in the right spot, <clears throat> and He's and I think I've been given like this. This I mean, I'm very, very blessed, and I'm very grateful. And um, I think those who you win in life by helping other people. And so the more I ever help, and I just t- I I get rid of the selfishness and get rid of you know, it being about me, um, and I learned that in the leadership journey as well. I probably wasn't very nice to work for early on, and, and luckily I've had great team members that have called me out on it and, and said, you know, listen to the way you're talking to us or, you know, this is, you know, this isn't fun or whatever, and I realized that it's not just about, you know, the work or, um, you know, it, you, you've got to have a balanced life so that's super, super important to me, not only for me, but also for my team members. Like I, one of my gals said yesterday that she actually came in and, and she missed church and came in and worked on some files, and I told her to never do that again. Um, you know, and it was because she did care and she wanted to make sure it, was, it got done, but it's like, you know, I really want everyone on my team to have a balanced life. My team's on top, and we have been for a long time, and we want to stay on top. And it's not just me that wants to stay there. They're very protective of our team. So I'm motivated by doing things well and, I guess, making a difference and helping others and, you know, leaving this world a better place.
1: Jenna, why are you successful?
2: I think that probably if you boil it all down, it's it's just that if you are good, and you have good character and good integrity and you work hard and you really truly care about the outcome for other people, then I just think that that breeds success and that breeds um, a good life. I'm a very good business person. Um, I think I have a personality that truly cares about people and is very honest and people are drawn to that. Um, I'm not, I'm not afraid of the good, the bad and the ugly where a lot of people, whether it's leading their team or leading a seller are afraid to, to say, say what needs to be said. And I've always been very straight up honest. And so I do think that that's helped in no matter what business venture I've been involved with or a partnership or, um, or who I'm representing. It, it's just, you know, you treat people right and it'll come back to you
1: ability to blink what is that
2: blink think there's actually a book it's called blink um malcolm gladwell i believe wrote blink it is intuition and the ability to think fast Um, i call it dancing and i try to hire people who can blink think as well um or when i say they know how to dance meaning if someone were to call them or ask them a question and they just know what to say. They know what to say, when to say it, how to say it, and they just say it quickly without having to really think about it. So it's, it's that um, ability to, to think fast, to think on their feet, to make a very wise, common sense decision or give, give advice. If they don't know, then they can just say, I don't know, but let me find out for you. But to, the ability to, to quickly think and to make a great decision.
1: Jenna, if you were going to advise a brand new agent just getting in the business, what would you tell them to do first?
2: Well, maybe I should share the three points of advice that I had. Someone told me, my very good friend, um, told me to put my picture on everything, so my name with, you know, the name with the face, they told me actually listen to Star Power tapes, so I'm going to tell them to listen to your tapes of top producing agents because there's a reason why they got there. There's a, there's a pattern of success that they, sh- so they need to, you know, even if some of it doesn't, like, fit their bill, they need to at least listen and pull out pointers from, from each of these top producers that you are interviewing because they've done something right and they've lived before them. So, you know, pick and choose what it is and, and really, you know, implement it. And just work really hard, you know, work every day at it. Be consistent. I didn't, you know, it, I, it didn't happen overnight for me. It happened working every single day, every single week, every single month, and then every single year, and now it's created this this huge momentum that can't be stopped. And it's like throwing pebbles at an army tank. You know, my competitors really, no matter how hard they try, they're really not it's going to be hard for them to ever catch us because we've just done it year after year after year and we've built built such a wonderful foundation. Um, I would highly recommend that you know who you are and what you stand for. Um, We know, like I personally know my own core values and my belief system and the people that I hire also have those core values. So I think it's whether you're a one-man show or you have a small team or a large team, I think the rainmaker or the leader truly has to, to know and be able to articulate who that person is and what it is that they're trying to accomplish and their vision and, and their mission. And you stick to that, and you take money out of the equation when you make decisions, um, and you're always going to make the right decision. And sometimes it means, you know, having to do something for free. Um, but you do the right thing, and the right thing always it, it comes back to you. So another piece of advice, is, I would say to be humble, regardless of your success or how many houses you sell or however big you get or whatever. If you're you know known in your town or whatever, just to remain humble and know where you came from and to be appreciative and grateful, and you're going to go much, much further.
1: How do you maintain balance in your life?
2: Leverage. Leverage, leverage, leverage. You control your schedule instead of letting the schedule control you. So you really are in control. I have children, so I had children's events. You know, I, I go to them. I, I'm a part of their life. Um, I don't just make it about work seven days a week. You know, and, and hiring people or having systems, I guess, in in your business, even if it's not a people, system or people um, leverage, it could be a system leverage or um, a checklist of some sort that helps you. Um, just being really, really efficient, you know, with your time, but you controlling your time and time blocking, not letting people, you know, take advantage. I mean, you know, you don't have to be Johnny on the spot. You don't have to be a Pop-Tart realtor, you know, and react. Um, you know, you don't have to answer that phone every time it rings. Sometimes it's, it's best to let it roll to voicemail and check and see what they want and then just get, get back to them. And it, usually you don't have to answer it. You take control of your destiny and you take control of your schedule versus it controlling you and deciding who you want to give your time to. You know, not everybody deserves your time. Pretty simple. You're in control. (laughs) I think people just think that, you know, they're giving great service if they are that pop tart and that's just not the case. Actually, I think I was more respected when I took control of my own schedule and picked and choose who I wanted to work with or get rid of or fire or, you know what I mean? Uh, I was actually more in demand when it, when I took
1: control. Was there anything else that you want to talk about that I didn't address?
2: The desk, no, mastering the DISC, the personality profiles, not only for your team building. So if you're a leader and you have a team or you want a team, you know, mastering that so you, so you know, you know who to hire and who not to hire, but also also for the servicing of your clients so that you know that would be something that we really didn't talk about, but desk is huge in our business, whether it's in our marketing pieces, looking at them and saying, you know what is it that I want um, you know what kind of statement do I want to make here does Does this marketing piece adhere to the d to the i to the s and to the C personality profiles and if you don't know um, Anything about that? If that's if foreign to you, you know, there's there's lots of companies. So that's been huge for us. My entire team knows Disc inside and out, and they communicate with their clients and and each of my clients, you know, using it. And I would just say, have fun. Work that's fun gets done. We learn together. Um, we read books together. We um, play together. We work hard together. And I think that any successful organization or team has to go through the good the bad and the ugly together Um, we call ourselves a Super Bowl team we didn't just all of a sudden do well together I mean the Super Bowl team is not your local high school team I mean you know they they work really hard together they play hard together they they look the part they act the part they practice the part and therefore they win like a Super Bowl team And I just think it's real important because a lot of people, when the going gets tough, the tough don't get going. You know, they all want to win together, but they don't want to have to go through the ugly. And any great team has to go through that together.
1: Well, Jana, you have hired, trained, supervised, developed, inspired, empowered, and led an amazing Super Bowl quality team. Your competitive drive pushed you to find balance between the two worlds of business and motherhood. Your desire to spend more quality time with your children pushed you to develop a self-sufficient real estate team that only requires a few hours of your time each week, yet continues to be profitable. You truly are a master team builder. Thank you again for being our top agent of the month. If you like the show and want to know when the next one's coming out, click the subscribe button on iTunes or Stitcher. And if you want to hear more episodes like this, give the show a five-star review and write a quick comment. I read them all, and it motivates me to keep going and share the top agent success stories with you. Thanks. If you're looking for more ways to generate leads, check out our sponsor, RealGTV, real estate agent lead generation television, and their giant database library of video trainings where top agents reveal, demonstrate, and discuss their best lead generation methods visit RealGTV, R-E-A-L-G dot TV. If you're low on funds or just want to get the maximum leverage, check out my masterclass webinar titled Top 5 Free Lead Sources for Real Estate Agents. Learn more at FreeLeadTime.com. That's FreeLeadTime.com. Oh, and if you have a real estate friend who needs some inspiration, tell them about the Success Calls podcast. And don't you forget to subscribe right now to hear all the great top agent ideas. Keep moving forward.
0: You've been listening to the Mastermind Agent, Interview of the Month Club, where top agents, rising agents, team members, and guests from across North America reveal their success secrets, strategies, and systems in up-close and personal interviews. You can find all the club interviews at www.mastermindagent.com.